timeout when there's gaps in coverage every team needs a player they can count on to help aflac supplemental insurance can help close the gap between what health insurance covers and what it doesn't when you're sick or injured bills can rack up fast aflac pays cash that can be put towards medical expenses like co-pays or even non-medical expenses like rent or groceries get help with expenses health insurance doesn't cover Visit Aflac.com to learn more. The second season of El Flow is here. Step into the ever-evolving world of reggaeton and get up close with both legendary figures and emerging talents in the industry. Part of the enormous significance of reggaeton is really the way in which personal narratives connect to larger things going on historically and socially. Listen to El Flow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Best of Heard Podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 12 to 3 Eastern, 9 to noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and FS1. Find your local station for the Herd at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching Herd. This is the Best of the Herd with Colin Cowherd on Fox Sports Radio. Ah, here we go. Lively day. Lots going on. It's the Hurt in Los Angeles. Wherever you may be, however, you may be listening or watching. Thanks for making us part of your day. Sonny Vaccaro in one hour. There's a new movie out about Michael Jordan, Nike, and his rise to fame. Sonny Vaccaro, that's his story. The Air movie. Saw it last week. It's fantastic. He will join us in studio today. So jacked up for this. Haven't seen Sonny in forever. But he helped reform college athletics, getting kids paid. The story is fascinating. Uh, His journey to meet Michael Jordan and lure him away from an Adidas Converse deal, which was appeared to be imminent. He got him to Nike. Air movie is his story. We'll bring him on the couch here or in the chairs here in about an hour. And uh, Jay Mack, I'm jacked. I haven't seen Sonny Vaccaro in a long time. And the movie's really, uh, it's a fantastic movie about a great American story. And Sonny Vaccaro needed his story told. We've heard the Nike story. We've seen the Phil Knight story, uh, the swoosh story. It's time for Sonny Vaccaro's story and, and, and Michael Jordan's mom's story. And I, they're both great. Very excited for it. Interviewed him a few times. Super fascinating character. He's got stories galore. Oh, he's got yeah. he's got a lot of them. So let's start with this. Um, generally speaking, I do not do a lot of award topics. I always feel like when you see that college football writer in week three doing a Heisman column, not very original, run out of ideas. 
But the MVP of the NBA this year is interesting for two reasons. Number one, uh, Jokic for the Nuggets has a chance to win it third year in a row. That doesn't happen very often, only to the all-time greats. He's not real verbal. He doesn't talk a lot. He's not real flashy. And the second reason it's interesting is the guy he's vying with, Embiid, is fun, is verbal, is flashy, isn't a big market, is a huge personality. And a lot of people think it's his turn. And the NBA has a history of voting MVP who they think the better story is. Russell Westbrook got an MVP. We We know he's not the most valuable player in the league, but it was a good story. Durant left him. He got him to the playoffs. So, But last night, they were supposed to play. But Embiid, little dinged up, sore calf, says, I'm out. Or maybe the Sixers said, he's out. Or maybe Doc said, Joel's out. Whatever it is, to me, the MVP officially goes to Jokic now in Denver. But, but, but when Jalen Hurts and Mahomes were tied down the stretch, big most valuable player race, Jalen Hurts got dinged up, missed a couple of games. You say, well, it's not his fault. Nobody said it is, but it is his reality. Embiid has played 61 games. Jokic has played 67. Their numbers are both great. They're powerful, big, unique players. But last night was one of the handful of regular season games that mattered, and this is a regular season award. That's what it is. It's I'll give you a little flash. I'll give you a little... uh, personality you can use that in your voting but you gotta be able to show up in a big regular season game after the game where Embiid no showed and Jokic did what Jokic always does shows up and dominates and he did and Denver won and they remain a number one seed in the west which I don't think is the be all end all for it you don't have to be the number one seed but you gotta show up for this game you gotta be available Jokic went to Philly last time they played Time for Embiid to play. Embiid, apparently, Doc Rivers came out, and he sort of proves our point on this. Doc Rivers came out and said it was an easy decision for us. Everybody wants to see these two guys play against each other, but we're going to be slow and smart. We want to get him and the whole team healthy for the playoffs. So last night, the Sixers chose the playoffs over a really interesting regular season game, and it's a regular season award sorry nobody said it's Embiid's fault it's Embiid's reality he doesn't play a lot of games Jokic plays more last night another triple double another win Denver won we all know that regular season NBA games are not equal I've said this before. There's 10 to 12 regular season games. There was a Celtic-Laker game in Boston earlier this year that got a big number. You know, you'll see the occasional Celtics playing the Warriors rematch of the finals, or you'll see a Milwaukee playing the Celtics, the two big powers in the East. About 10 of those a year in the regular season. And they matter. And they matter more. And they matter to the league, to its branding, to its television partners, and to its consumers. And so it's a regular season award. The Sixers, in a very tight race, chose a playoff agenda. They may end up being the smarter team. But the MVP is not about smarter anything. It's about being available in the regular season and dominating. Jokic last night, to me, won the award. So, you know, everybody has their own version of the truth, right? Right? 
conservatives, liberals, everybody's got sort of their own beliefs. Beliefs become agendas. Agendas become seeking things that align with how you want the world to be. We all get it. We all have our own versions of the truth. Aaron Rodgers, though, as he's gotten richer, um, he's gotten a little fuzzier with the truth. He said he was surprised when he came out of the darkness retreat that the Packers, you know, moved off him. Well, we find out now from Brian Gudenkunst, who does not have a history of fibbing about his vaccine or manipulating the media or demanding transparency but not being transparent. He doesn't have that history. You look at Aaron's resume and Brian Gudenkunst's resume, Aaron's gotten real fuzzy with the truth. You have a right to do that. But I have a right to call you out when it appears once again, Aaron's surprise was no real surprise at all because the Packers couldn't get a hold of him and they tried multiple times in the offseason. I was really looking forward to the conversations with Aaron to see how he fit into that. Uh, those never transpired. So, I, you know, there, there came a time where we kind of had to we had to make some you know decisions. So we went through his representatives to try to kind of talk to him where we were going with our team. And at that point, um, you know, they informed us they would like to, to be traded to the Jets. And our inability to reach him or for him to respond in any way, I think at that point, then we just kind of had to, we had to, I had to do my job and kind of reach out and understanding that a trade could be possible uh, and see who was interested. Okay, so he was a little fuzzy about his vaccination status. Uh, you don't care about that based on which way you land on vaccines, right? The people anti-vaccines cheer him. And the people like me who think you should help other people beyond yourself and get a vaccine don't need necessarily 10 booster shots. I think he was fuzzy. There's also the I didn't do that list for the Packers. Um, yeah, they signed Alan Lazard. There's a reason you wanted Alan Lazard to the Jets. There's also the all I want is transparency quote a couple of weeks ago, despite the fact I have had a Green Bay Packer, a current player, in the last two weeks say Aaron is never transparent weekly, monthly, in-season, out-of-season. He's never transparent. He leaves everybody guessing. But again, everybody has versions of the truth. Aaron's gotten a little fuzzy with his over time. Uh, it's not the end of the world. But what is, is this delusion, which I keep pointing to. He ghosts people who don't agree with him. He is surrounded by yes men and people who agree with him. He's not married, no kids, his friends. It's a small circle. Um, and, and, if, if you're going to push back on Aaron, you're not going to be hanging with Aaron. So he wants us to believe now that he's supposed to be surprised that an organization that tried multiple times, an employer to contact him, big decisions coming up, and couldn't. Couldn't get him directly, couldn't get him through his representatives. He wants us to believe he's surprised. That, again, is fuzzy. That is delusion. If you had friends who called you out, didn't surround yourself with those that just agree with you. Somebody would have said, dude, it's been eight weeks. You may want to get a hold of your employer. I saw another quote this morning. This comes from Zach Gelb, a reporter. He was told that Aaron and his coach, Matt LaFleur, had game plan meetings to give Rodgers more say. Remember, Aaron wants more say. Sometimes Aaron would show up. Other times, he would leave Matt LaFleur sitting there and never gave a reason why. Once again, Aaron's on his own timeline. Aaron has his own version of the truth. Aaron is surprised when he absolutely shouldn't be because none of us would be if we left our employer hanging for eight weeks. 
I don't want to hear about this. Oh, it just came out of left field. Now I guess I'm a jet. Again, I understand it. We all see the world through our lens. We're all a little more important to ourselves than we are to other people. Uh, you have a right to be upset that your Green Bay career is over, right? But own some of it. They're called mirrors. Every bathroom has one. Stare at it occasionally, and I don't want to hear you're surprised. That is absolute bull and nonsense. You know it, and I know it. You made yourself unavailable, and if you do, as a even as a highly compensated, very talented employee, employers will eventually move off you. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, FS1, and the iHeartRadio app. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The second season of El Flow is here. Available como a ti te guste, in both English and Spanish. This season, we dive deeper into the vibrant world of reggaeton, featuring interviews with both reggaeton legends and exciting new talents. He's the undisputed king of reggaeton, no doubt. And he's been cited as an inspiration by multiple Latin stars, including J Balvin, Bad Bunny, Osuna, Anti Natasha. Explore the evolution of this dynamic genre and what makes it resonate globally how you consume reggaeton, how you share and distribute reggaeton. Those are all an important part of the story. It's the way that the people are experiencing reggaeton along with the musicians. Listen to El Flow as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, 
limitless answers. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's not a hot take. It sounds obvious, but, you know, in this day and age, if you come out and you're brutally honest, you'll get pushback. John Lynch, good player, covered him when he played for the Bucks teammate when he worked for Fox, done a great job GM of the San Francisco 49ers. It's absolutely the best roster in the NFL. It's absolutely stacked. It should be noted, how do you keep it stacked? Don't pay your quarterback anything. That's why the Lamar Jackson Niners rumors don't make sense. It's why Brady could be difficult. Aaron Rodgers is off the board. So Brock Purdy had a great year last year. Last player taken in the draft. He'll be the cheapest starter in the league. He went 7-0 in games he didn't break his elbow. 14 touchdowns, two picks, a passer rating in the hundreds. And John Lynch said if it started tomorrow, he would start. I think Brock has earned the right with the way he played, that he's probably the leader in the clubhouse at that. You know, I'll let Kyle make those kind of decisions, but I know when we talk, I think Brock's probably earned that right to be the, be the guy if we were to line up. He'd probably take that first snap. That's not controversial. Well, Trey Lance has had four starts. He completes 55% of his throws. But but he deserves a... They've got 75 practices with Trey Lance, multiple workouts with Trey Lance, preseason games with Trey Lance, four games starting with Trey Lance. He has struggled with accuracy. This offense is all about a quarterback accurately placing the ball where Kyle Shanahan has schemed it. Shanahan did not want to take Lance. He was Mac Jones, overruled by Lynch in the scouting department. So now Shanahan's saying, well, what do you want me to do? It's not close. One guy is significantly more accurate. This is exactly, as a fan, what you should want, right? To not be paralyzed by a pre-draft evaluation and instead getting it right not paralyzed by being right. Well, we gave away these picks. We had this. We decide Get it right. It's not close. The strength of Purdy is accuracy. This coach demands accuracy. Trey Lance is bigger, a little stronger, moves, nice kid. His weakness is accuracy. This is what you want as a fan. You want your team to play the best players that can give you the best chance to win. You cannot double down on being wrong with a draft pick. And it's not like 75 practices, preseason games, four games. This is what Shanahan does. 
I, I told you last year, I had somebody within the organization saying they became really conserved, uh, concerned, really concerned about July and August, about how it looked, the arm fatigue, Trey was struggling. They, they were considering hiring a quarterback coach to look at tape outside the organization. Well, the chant, how long's a chant? It's a Super Bowl roster. You're going to screw around and give them eight games, then you're two and six? I don't, I'm not rooting for anything. I'm rooting for the guy who gets the job to win. There's a reason they kept most of this roster intact. They don't pay the quarterback anything. The cheapest starter will be Brock Purdy. Now, if Brock Purdy's injury precludes him from playing in September and October, Trey Lance wins the job and chops it up and completes 64% of his throws, it will be very difficult to pull Trey Lance out of a starting job. I said this about Garoppolo for years. Garoppolo was liked in the locker room. He was winning games. He was a guy's guy. It's hard to pull that back, right? Like it, it, you, you start disrupting chemistry. Garoppolo had his guys. Maybe Trey Lance develops that if Brock Purdy's elbow surgery doesn't heal fast enough. Trey Lance gets off to a five and one start. The guys like him. He adds some mobility that Purdy couldn't. He's more accurate this year. Then maybe it's his job. But today, based on what we've seen, it would be not a hot take to subscribe to the theory that Brock Purdy clearly to this point gives you a much better chance to win based on his strength and the coach's system. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. So Meek Mill apparently uh, texted Robert Kraft and says, go get Lamar Jackson. And Robert Kraft said, that's Bill Belichick's call, which historically outside of the Garoppolo move, uh, that's what Kraft has done. Basically, you know, Bill runs the show. So it's interesting. I think it's worth a discussion to trade like a Mac Jones and a first-round pick for Lamar Jackson. It's worth a meeting. I mean, the, the Patriots miss playmaking and speed. Lamar gives you both. They've not been great at first-round picks. I'd give one up. The last Pro Bowler they drafted in the first round was 2012 Chandler Jones over a decade ago. The last offensive player they drafted in the first round that became a Pro Bowler was 2005, a guard out of Fresno State, Logan Mankins. You can't count Mac Jones. He was a uh, alternate uh, who got on the field or into the game based on other players backing out. They don't hit home runs in the first round. They don't draft offensive skill players well, and they're slow. And right now, their over-under is about eight wins. It hasn't been released yet, I don't think. My guess is it would be about eight wins. Eight and a half, I'd bet the under. Eight, I'd probably bet the over. I think they're a nine and eight football team with Mac Jones, who has a functioning offensive coordinator now, but no skill at all on the outside to compare to Buffalo, the Jets, or Miami, or the rest of the AFC for that matter. So, but there is something called career momentum. Whenever I watch the media do this, it's as if they don't include what's previously happened. I mean, why do you create resumes? Right? You want to look at what somebody, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, somebody has done previously. Ooh, they're very successful. They were a good student. First two jobs, they were productive. Let's hire them. These are not one-offs. They're not individual moments. The league tends to be a copycat league, good or bad. So let's look at the last seven big contracts handed out to quarterbacks. I mean, massive deals. So let's go one through okay so kyler murray 2022 right now arizona regrets it deshaun watson 
Cleveland may regret it. I think they overpaid for him. I think it's an egregiously bad deal. Then there's Russell Wilson. I think he turns it around. But last year was frightening. Frightening. You could be locked into a guy who is quickly regressing. Aaron Rodgers, 2022. His off-season commitment has decreased noticeably since he signed the deal. Now you can't get a hold of him in the off-season. Matt Stafford looked great for a year. He's fallen apart physically. Josh Allen, that one's worth it. That one I would have done. Big, strong, and healthy. I am worried that he was turnover-prone in college and early in the NFL. Then Brian Dable refined him, polished him, cleaned him up. Dayball leaves, he's still great, but now is reverting back to more crucial mistakes. And then Dak Prescott. Contract's fine, but most people in the league believe at this point you overpaid for him. He's very reliant on those around him. So, yeah, the current momentum is you got to go back to the eighth contract, Mahomes, where it was a home run, and that was a team friendly deal. And you also have an organization, the Chiefs, that drafts and develops at a really high level. So, yeah, I get Baltimore saying, yeah, we're worried here a little bit, and I get New England perhaps passing. Now, um, I think the questions about Bill's future, I saw, I, I know two things. One, everybody knows, Bill is into the league's history. He's like an encyclopedia for NFL history. That's pretty cool. His dad was way back when a scout. Started all the scouting stuff, right? Wrote a book on it. Um, also, we know this. I've been told this, that the all-time wins that Don Shula has, he needs 30 more to suppress Shula. It means something to Bill. He would have the most Super Bowls and the most wins. It means something to Bill. Nothing wrong with that. He's committed himself to the game. He is the greatest coach ever. I totally understand it. But my takeaway is that's four years away. 30 wins is four years away. So if Bill's going to do it Bill's way, Bill O'Brien worked with Deshaun Watson. That's his new coordinator. I would give it a meeting. Mac Jones in a first-round pick. Hey, Baltimore, they've won Super Bowls with guys that play like Mac, pocket guys, Flacco and Dilfer. Maybe they'd be interested. But I do, Robert Kraft talked about Bill's future um, and kind of the state of the Patriots at the league meetings. I'd like him to break Don Shula's record, but um, I'm not looking for any of our players to great, get great stats. That isn't, we're, we're about winning and doing whatever we can to win, and that's what our focus is now. And uh, I, it's very important to me that we uh, make the playoffs, and that's what I hope happens next year. For the record, the Patriots always ask players to not care about stats. Right? Do your job. Take a little less money. It's not about your stats. So even though it matters to Belichick to break Don Shula's record, you'd be a total hypocrite if you keep him on, and that's the focus for the next four years. It's not like he's four win shy. If you got the Patriots winning eight, nine games a year in their division, and that's kind of what they look like going forward, that's four years of Bill. And right now they are totally tone deaf offensively. 
Belichick on why fans this year should be excited about the team. What would you say to them to give them a reason to be optimistic for what's ahead? The last 25 years. (laughs) We'll see. First round pick in Mac Jones for Lamar. Now, Lamar's much more dynamic. Lamar, I think, can get to a Super Bowl. I don't think currently in the AFC Mac Jones can. Uh, But Baltimore could say we got a great defense and special teams. We just don't want to get locked into a contract with a quarterback that get get hurt and has been hurt. And I could see New England saying, here's what we don't do well, speed and playmaking. We get Lamar, we solve both. I think it's worth a meeting. Would you, J-Mac, Mac Jones for Lamar, first rounder in Mac Jones for Lamar, you're New England. I would do it in a heartbeat if I was New England, but I'm not doing that if I'm Baltimore. Okay. Why on earth would I want Mac Jones? And first of all, I don't anticipate these two trading. They don't. They haven't liked okay. each other for a while. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But if I can upgrade from Mac Jones to Lamar Jackson, I do that yesterday. Okay. The one that really galls me, besides the Colts, which we talked about, is the Atlanta Falcons. And you've been hammering away at this. It doesn't they make sense. went all in last year for Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. Everything we're into the final and moment. Yet aren't interested in Lamar. What's What am I missing? Do they know something we don't? Also, they don't appear interested in drafting a quarterback this year. So they went all in on Deshaun, who I don't think is as good as Lamar, but they're not interested in drafting a quarterback or Lamar. So does Desmond Ritter have something that nobody else on planet Earth knows? Is he the best practice quarterback in the league? I, I don't know. There's got to be a reason they have zero interest in Lamar Jackson. Caleb now, Williams, USC. That's their. I don't think they're going to be that bad, but is this a... Old school owner, Arthur Blank, been around forever. What's his relationship like with the Ravens owner? Is there like some wink-wink, not collusion, but hey man, we're not doing the all-guaranteed contract. We're just not doing that. Is that an Arthur Blank-like firm line in the sand? Well, Jim Ursay said yesterday, it's not about a money issue. It's about we're not we don't like guaranteed contracts. Media, you got to come to terms with this. Hey, hold on. You know what I like? I like wins. And availability. All right. Okay. That's, I mean, that's you. You can't tell me that doesn't matter. Real quick, greatest quarterbacks in the history of the Falcons franchise. Let's just rattle them off. Matt Ryan, he won an MVP. Michael Vick. Michael Vick. Who else? Not Lamar long. gets instantly in that discussion the second you sign him. I'm, he's, he's been so good. Oh, I'm for Atlanta getting Lamar Jackson. It makes total sense. You would have arguably the best player in the division at the most important position the second you made the move. Right. So I, to me, it absolutely I'd make that move. I and Carolina's going to have a rookie quarterback, right? Derek Carr is good, but Lamar Jackson's better. Of course. And l- let me just ask, this whole, like, I'm not guaranteeing contracts at all. Okay, I understand. You want to do that for your business. You don't want to guarantee contracts. You know what? I don't really care what you want to do. I want to do what's best for my team. And yeah. if that is getting an amazing quarterback who's won an MVP, yeah, he's had a couple injuries. But if he's on the field playing... We're probably in first place in our division for the next three years. Yes. I'm going to do what's best for my team, and I'm going to give him the fully guaranteed three or four years. I, I just I don't see why that's that difficult. Well, I think if Lamar had never missed starts, it would be much easier. I don't – there is – outside of Mahomes, there doesn't appear to be a perfect quarterback. There really isn't, right? Like, Herbert hasn't won enough. Burrow's been hurt. Allen makes too many mistakes. Um, there's no – Mahomes is it. So it comes down to what is the flaw 
that Lamar has. It's not passing from the pocket, as many speculate. That's not the issue. It is injuries. That one scares people. That one really, I can coach you out of flaws, Josh Allen, Brian Dable. I can't coach you to healthy. So every quarterback outside of Mahomes has something you got to deal with. Cincinnati is very concerned about Joe Burrow's health. He can't take another big injury to a knee. So what did they do? They built that O-line. They spent money on the O-line even this offseason. They doubled down on the O-line. So Lamar's flaw is something that I think... Is it a flaw? Missing games. That's not good. Hi, this is Jay Glazer, and you may know me from the world of football or fighting or even shows like HBO's Ballers. What you don't know is for my entire life, I have lived in something I refer to as the gray. Depression, anxiety. So now I'm coming out with a new podcast, Unbreakable, a mental health podcast with Jay Glazer, where each week, while we talk about mental health, I hope to describe it. Give it words. Listen to Unbreakable with Jay Glazer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The second season of El Flow is here. Available como a ti te guste, in both English and Spanish. This season, we dive deeper into the vibrant world of reggaeton, featuring interviews with both reggaeton legends and exciting new talents. He's the undisputed king of reggaeton, no doubt. And he's been cited as an inspiration by multiple Latin stars, including J Balvin, Bad Bunny, Osuna, Anti Natasha. Explore the evolution of this dynamic genre and what makes it resonate globally how you consume reggaeton, how you share and distribute reggaeton. Those are all an important part of the story. It's the way that the people are experiencing reggaeton along with the musicians. Listen to El Flow as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. 
It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver Airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I've been teasing this interview now for about a week, ever since I went and saw the air movie, J-Mac. You have not seen it yet. Uh, The audience loved it. And why I loved it, because Sonny Vaccaro has never gotten a movie where he got to be the center focus. We know a lot about Phil Knight and Nike and the swoosh and Michael Jordan, but there's a story behind the story. There always is. And Sonny Vaccaro, who watched the premiere last night in Westwood, is joining us live. So I want to, Sonny doesn't remember me as well as I remember him, but there's a reason. So when I got my first job out of college, everybody, many of you know this, it was in Las Vegas. I was 22, 23 years old, and I, had, I worked for a TV station, KVBC, the late Jim Rogers owned it, Channel 3. And yeah. so I was this young, pesky sportscaster, a little smart alecky. I covered UNLV. Well, they were at the time exploding into a power. So Sonny Vaccaro uh, was at practices regularly, and Sonny is now joining us for our TV viewers and I knew you were a shoe guy, but I didn't understand the industry. I didn't know what the hell Nike was, or I knew Converse. Now, the story over the course of time, we didn't have the internet. Cable TV wasn't as pronounced. I just knew this guy was a shoe guy that was all over the country, and the players at UNLV absolutely loved him, and Tark loved him. And I knew when Sonny was at the practice, he was a big deal because of the way Tark would stop practice and run over to Sonny Vaccaro. <laughs> so let's start with that. You had a lot of coaches that you were close to. I always felt like you and Tark, it was like brothers, the way you communicate. I honestly initially thought you were a relative. Were you and Tark close as it appeared to me? After I started my All-Star game, the Dapper Dan in 1965, yeah. I, was, I was 24 years old at that time, me and my boyhood friend Pat DeCesar in Pittsburgh. It was the first All-Star game 13 years before McDonald's yep. even existed. You created First one it. in America. Yep, you were 24. And now I'm getting going, and I had no idea what was happening in the world other than I thought this game would work and kids would play in front of an audience. At that time, about the second year in, we became so successful because what I had were the best players in America. There weren't a lot of camps at that time. All the guys were, you know, whatever. 
And that's when I started meeting college coaches for the first time in my life. I had no, no connection with them prior to that in my life. I just thought it was gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna do an all-star game, but who came, came. And I thought it'd be local people and all that sort of stuff, to be very honest with you. Jerry Tarkanian came with his best friend, uh, you know, one of the boosters from Long Beach State. Yeah. He was at Long Beach then. Yeah. To see, you know, a couple kids that were in the thing. That's where I met him. And because I always, you know, I had good players and Jerry would come continuously, we formed this friendship because yeah. he was so different than anybody. And at that time, as you said, there was no internet there nothing. You knew your local teams. Very few people knew who existed in basketball, the players included, other than the local people. It wasn't on yeah. a, you, you didn't get a score when they, right after they scored the basket. And, you know, there's not a running thing on, a, on your telephone. Right. So Tark was, a, was the most different person I've ever met in my life very, at the beginning. Yeah. At the very beginning. His, his personality, he was an everyday coach. He was everyday person. He always was like that. Kind of a blue collar regular yeah. guy. He would talk to you if you were if you had a gun in your hand, you know, and was threatening to shoot him, or if you had a you know something to eat, you want to go get a free meal, which Tark also liked to do <laughs> at that time. And but that's who he was. So we became good friends, and it transferred later on to it got bigger. But the thing that changed everything was a kid named Raymond Lewis. A great legend, and they just did a documentary on yes. Raymond. Raymond was the greatest high school player I ever saw at that time. At that time, ladies and gentlemen, it was the 60s, late, seven, yeah. uh, late 60s, early 70s when this kid. Jerry was at Long Beach State. He was recruiting Raymond, and the world was. And he, was, he came in second place because he ended up another place that they made a better deal than Tark did at Long Beach <laughs> State, okay? <laughs> and on that, on that day... The, the game I went to, you know, he, they actually beat Long Beach State, right. Raymond's team. From that day on, Tarkin and I became inseparable because the next job he took right after that loss. UNLV. UNLV. Yep. Now, I, I have gambled since 1963 when I was a kid out of Pittsburgh. Yeah. When I graduated, two friends of mine drove to Las Vegas so I can play poker at the Dunes, to be very, very honest with yeah. you. And uh, coming from Pennsylvania, at a young age, gambling was a part of our lives. Sure. And poker and playing and all that sort of stuff was it. Tark and I became inseparable because I spent half the year in Las Vegas <laughs> and half the year in Pittsburgh getting ready for my Dapper Dan game. Yeah. I, I didn't really have a... I promoted the game. I represented a couple of kids like George Gervin to go to the ABA. Yeah. I made... I hustled, but it was all basketball. You're a hustler. Now I meet Tarkanian and we're in Las Vegas. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this era may not even realize who Jerry Tarkanian was because there are a million impressions, but he was always the same man that he was at Long Beach State yep. when he was a junior college before yep. he went to Long Beach Short State. Short sleeve dress shirt. But now he's at Las Vegas, Colin. Now he's there. He has the world because Las Vegas in 1970s was Sin City. It was just all the mysterious things in life, Mafia. all the things that everybody wanted to do but were afraid to do. Yeah. Go to Las Vegas, we'll do them. Well, Tark, his, ba his backup team was the people who lived in Las Vegas and the guys who ran the town. Let's yeah. just be honest. Yeah. Yo, you wanted to go to a restaurant, you wanted to do this, you wanted to go to, to Caesar's Palace, you went through Tark. Well, <laughs> yep. 
I then knew a lot of kids yeah. that ended up playing, started from Sidney Green and that yes. group, that Pittsburgh group of guys. Kid. I knew them perfect, uh, you, yeah. know, you know, from my all-star game, you yeah. know, all these things. We became inseparable. I also did the home games with uh, for on on thing with Chick Hearn some. Yeah, then, you, know, you Russ, became an analyst. Yeah, I, I go ahead. Yeah, so so the relationship with Tark is it was clearly dynamic, and that's what what where I knew you. So the movie is really though about the Jordan story. Yes. So. There's a moment in the movie that's fascinating where you're in a hotel room and you're trying to convince Phil Knight, Phil, Nike at that point had $250,000. They were going to sprinkle it to a bunch of players. And you had to convince Phil Knight, the only way we can get Jordan, because we don't have Adidas money or Converse money, we got to give all our money to Jordan. So Jordan, you know, he plays at Carolina. He's kind of a wiry kid. He's obviously very talented. And there's a moment in the movie when you're watching the film and you're saying, on the shot of his career at Carolina, the shot's intended for him, not the best forward in college basketball, James Worthy. Mm. Dean Smith is choosing an 18-year-old freshman over his All-American superstar. Is there some truth in that, or is it true? What, what, it, do you that, tell everything that Matt said was true. Everything that we talked about was true. The one thing that that happened in reality. I was at the game in person when they beat Georgetown. Yes. I was representing Nike. Georgetown, John Thompson, like Tarkanian was for me, one of my closest friends yes. in the world. By then, John Thompson had taken care of, you know, the top. Yeah. He had, you know, Patrick Ewing had a great team. It was a great game. I'm I'm sitting there watching this game. Okay. I'm rooting for Georgetown. Sure. Not, I don't give a damn about North Carolina right. or Michael Jordan or anybody else. I never thought of them. I never knew Michael Jordan. I never met, I never met Dean Smith, and I certainly know that they wore Converse all their lives. That's right. So I, there was nothing. He hits the shot. Yeah. As God is my judge, what what Matt was able to do on the screen, he did better than anybody could possibly do, and helped Sonny Vaccaro the rest of his life explain what happened. I remembered that shot, that 18 seconds in my mind. I never thought about it again. I was never asked about it again until two years later when now we're recruiting Michael. Somewhere in my subconscious, that made. That was the reason I said to Nike to bet everything on it. As you watch the, yeah. the, the growth of the it movie. It was your career, by the yeah, way. It was, it, was, it was my, it was it If was you would have been wrong and he's a bust, the Sonny Vaccaro's, there's no air movie. There's no air movie, and I don't know. I, I always believe I was good. And this, just so the audience knows, I married Pam a month before I recruited him, so I would have been successful because I had a great backup there you my go. wife, right? So in the movie, yes. you go, and this makes Phil very angry. Yes. You decide, because Michael grew up a Converse and an Adidas guy, and you thought to yourself, rightly so, the only way, we have a we got to get a meeting with Michael. Mm -hmm. So you literally traveled, even though David Falk, who I know a little bit, I've interviewed, told you, don't you dare, because he represented Michael, don't you dare go and talk to the family. And you said, well, it's the only way I'm going to get him. So you traveled and you sit down with Michael Jordan's mother, who's a very strong woman, as we find out. Tell me, in the movie, it's portrayed that she doesn't give you a lot of time. But she does give you a visit. How long was that meeting with Michael's mother? The, the meeting lasted long. It was a continuous meeting. Most of the talk and conversation with Michael's mother came after the first conversation. 
I didn't know Michael's mother until I had met Michael at Tony Roma's you know, restaurant in Santa Monica. Okay. And I, that's the, when I met him. I then sensed that my first chance with this, I have to know the family. So on the phones, and there weren't, you know, cell phones. There, there weren't, you know, the, the phones we have today, we get everybody in a second and have video and we know who now we're talking about. I talked to Mrs. Jordan on the phone. I arranged everything. Her and I gradually grew close together. The first scene you saw opened the door for me to know the Jordan family. So right. what you saw happened. It didn't exactly happen the way it's portrayed. Right. But I, I went through her, and at the end of the movie, you'll see how it all ended. She did control it. So go. Do you remember the moment, the very moment when she called you and said, because it was, you guys were, it was literally, it changed Nike as a company. It was a running company, not a basketball company. Do you remember where you were sitting, where you were at, the moment you were told, Michael's coming? That one's easier because, again, we were separated. She was in North Carolina. Yeah. I, I was actually, I think Pam and I were living in California at that time, whatever. Yeah. I was home. And she, we had then had numbers, so we right. did communicate. Now, I hadn't heard from her for a minute or two. You know, we, the last I talked to anybody representing, you know, and, yeah. Phil, and Phil Knight about Michael was at the Olympic Games in 84 yeah. in August right here in California, we're yeah. right at the beach. And so we, we had talked to people because Phil at that time, in August of that year, still hadn't made his mind up. That's right. Until when you watch in the film, at the end, he comes in and, you know, he said, go for it. You yeah. know, we, we, we so made peace. In the, in the movie, what's fascinating is Phil Knight and you, it's a respectful relationship. Yeah. He knows you're good at what you do, and he's obviously a gifted man. But it does come across in it that it, there was a real struggle on this. Yeah. Is that true? That's that's as true. You can make a bet on it today. So yeah, Phil was yeah, very much Sonny. No. Who is this kid? Yeah, and and in reality, it went deeper because we only saw snippets, but it was constant. My life, Rob Strasser and Peter Moore, and obviously Phil, because Phil controlled whatever we did. I mean, right. there's no question about that. And. That that was an everyday occurrence when you saw, and I didn't sleep on a couch up there, but I slept at home. It was 24 for me. That was my life. Now, we, we have the meeting. We're involved now. By, by August, we're pretty damn involved. Yeah. We got to get them there. When, when she says she's coming, it's a phone call. The mom and okay? Michael, yes. And we knew that she was coming. We knew that she would be there, but it still wasn't over. There was no signed contract. I think some people would be a little misled, like when, when they said they were coming out, that's what Falk was afraid of, right. that she already committed. She came out because she made a commitment, and she listened to what I said because she held me to the wall yeah. on what I had said. Yeah. When I said, we're going to give you a piece, I only said it because Phil and Rob allowed me to say it. I didn't make that up my own self. I knew how much money, because the $500,000 eventually and the sharing of the profits. Yeah. I didn't create that, just for the record. But what I did was a messenger. I was the only one she talked to. I'm the one that promised her right. the money. And, and now I'm afraid. Do you remember the last scene? where yeah. I, I don't know what the hell Phil's going to say. And then he says, you got it? I didn't know. Yeah. I really didn't know. I I, you know, I was praying, but I, I just... Now, were you in the room? In the movie, there's a scene where there's a room, and yeah. it's you, and it's Phil, and it's Michael, and they start some goofy uh, montage, Yes, and you turned it off because it was kind of clunking, and then you gave a pitch to Michael. Is that true? 
that happened, but not as deep as what the, the okay. film. Matt did a great job. The words he spoke, because Matt and I, we did a 90-minute you know, Zoom right. to, before I even met him personally when I came down here to watch the, uh, the set. No, Matt researched Sonny, you know, and his people researched Sonny. A lot, most of everything he did, we talked about. Yeah, so in the movie, folks, there's a moment when they have Michael at Nike. They're trying to get him to sign. They're making their pitch. It's, I won't give too much away because I want you to watch the movie, but they have a presentation, and halfway through the presentation, Sonny decides, this ain't going well. I'm going to stop the film and, and sell Michael on his vision, uh, which he is saying now is true. Again, I don't want to give too much away. It's a real moment in the movie. Now, yeah? Can I say something? Sure. I could not have possibly said th that speech that Matt gave on my own. It'll, it'll take an hour for me to tell these people. What Matt did with the words that he said are iconic. I wish they would print them up and keep them. The speech that the people are going to watch there are words from Sonny Vaccaro in it. Yes. But there are also words that, that, that Matt and whatever, right. you know, embellished in there and, and sold. Sure. But we, Mrs. Jordan, did not say yes until after the speech. That is a fact. Everybody knows that. I mean, so I mean, I believe she would have, but she held us to the wall to the last minute. She wanted everything. So there's also a moment, there was a great shoe designer downstairs in Beaverton where you went down into the room and said, we got this kid coming. We don't have much time. You got to create a shoe. You guys came up with a name and it was decided, which I thought was very clever, that the NBA had a policy yeah. that you couldn't have too much red on a shoe or black. It had to be like white. And one of you in the room decided, hey, we're going to make a shoe that's kind of illegal. They're going to find Michael. But it'll be so talked about, it'll sell the shoe, which is incredible marketing genius. Is that true? That's true, ladies and gentlemen. And Rob Strausser did that. And I remember the day, the minute Rob Strausser said it. Uh, that was John At Bateman. Nike, I, legendary yeah, Nike employee. Right. That was Bateman in the movie. And, uh, and Rob turns and, and we are all shocked because... He, we hadn't, he hadn't told Phil we were doing this yet. We were going to pay the fine. And that was another 5000 If we played 40 games, that's another $200,000. I mean, Which, by the way, the Nike budget then was a quarter million. That's it. So you were willing to pay almost that in fines. Yeah. It's a brilliant strategy yeah. that it would become the most controversial shoe with the greatest player in it. One more herd? The herd streams 24 hours a day, seven days a week within the iHeartRadio app. Search herd to listen live or on demand whenever you'd like. This isn't part of the movie, but it is a question. Did you know, because your career's resting on this, yes. and we all know Michael's athletic, he's very good. How many games into Michael's career, Sonny, did you know we made the right bet? I knew. In my mind, just for me, you're, you're, whoever's watching it, I swear to God Almighty, from the minute I said, give it to the kid, I didn't know this kid. I didn't know anything about him. Go back to the film that Matt's showing the public right. that they're going to just love the way... His I body, yeah, his length. Everything. But no, really what I never forgot, if you watch the movie, Michael putting his hand up. When you go through the film... And that's not how I, I remember it, because I remember it live and in person at right. the game. How he explained the 18 seconds. It was 18 seconds of a man's life. 
if he doesn't, if he flubs the ball, if he do, if they don't, if they give it to James Worthy and he, he bullies over somebody and dunks on it, they give it to Sam Perkins. That was a hell of a team. Yeah. I mean, my God, four of them in the NBA. Yeah. And they end up with the kid. What I saw, he wanted that shot from the 18 second mark on down because he proves it on NCAA uh, film. Right. I mean, this was actually it's happened. Film. Yeah, that was the film that happened in the 18, the 14, the 13. Michael wanted that damn thing, and the only one that could have worked, and I didn't realize it then, but they showed it in a movie. Last night again, I watched it, when, when, when Worthy cleared out the path. And he took the, the defender watching Robert because everybody in the world would have thought James would have had the last shot. Yes. That, that's just logical. Why wouldn't he? He was the greatest, one of the greatest players ever to play. So Dean Smith in that huddle said, yeah, get it yeah. to Michael. There was no question. And you can't deny it because it's on film. That's why when it's on film and Matt's explaining it in his voice, you're, you're, you're in capture. You're, you're going to walk away with it. The guy that didn't see it, the, the, the audience that hadn't yeah. seen it all their lives and don't remember, they yeah. weren't born in 84. Ladies and gentlemen, that changed 18 seconds, changed the world. It did. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions. we got about three minutes, so I'll try to answer kind of quickly. Good. Okay, the smartest coach. If I said to you, boy, this guy, he didn't even have to be the greatest coach, but he was the smartest guy you dealt with consistently. It's the coach? I, you know, that's impossible to ask because I, I never really cared about what the heck they did or didn't do. What I cared about is how he handled his team, how his team reacted who, to him personally. How, who did you think as a basketball savant, who did you think was the best coach? Well, it, you're limited. I know the one that followed their, their team the most. I knew two of them, Jerry Tarkani and John Thompson. There's no question in my mind because if you had to go through my life, and they're all great minds out there, much better guys at Exodus than both of them yeah. probably. But what they had was 12 kids that totally believed in them. Yes. And they were a different set of kids, too. Different continents, right? The East Coast, the West Coast. Controversial coaches politically also. Yeah. So different. So I would say that because their team, their team reacted to their personality. That's a great point, Sonny. In fact, Mike Krzyzewski told me at a Final Four in Denver, he would never remember this. He wouldn't remember me. I remember it because I was a young sportscaster. You were at the game. I was at the game when UNLV blew him out. And I said, uh, what makes them special? And he said, I've never coached against a team that plays as hard as UNLV. He said, you guys in the media think they're all flashy. All I see is defense. Mm -hmm. He goes, I've never seen a team play this hard. And I was great about that. He said that on a podium and Tark was in the room, and that meant so much oh, to Tark. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, it meant everything to Jerry. Because, you know, Jerry was, sure. he was he was an outsider. Yes, he was. And so Bobby Knight was an insider. Shashevsky was an insider. Dean Smith was an insider. Jerry was a rebel on the outside. And Shashevsky and his wife, Mickey, Shashevsky could not praise the coaching. He goes, in the history of this game, I've never coached again. I can't get my guys to play that hard. And, I mean, it literally almost brought Tark. He was so proud of that. So, you know, he chewed that towel. He was nervous. Yeah, he, was, he a very, was. He was a very nervous guy. Well, well, however you interpret Jerry at this time, and, you know, both of them, John and Jerry, are passed away, but they stayed to their personality the whole time in my life that I knew both of them. They never gave an inch to what their belief was. John liked gambling, too. Oh, John, well, are you kidding me? He... He was involved in, you know, working with Michael Gone they were with yes. the slot machines, and he became a very good friend of everybody in Las Vegas. That's I mean, right. he, he he could have lived there, 
Yeah. Did you, because you were battling shoe companies and coaches, did you ever get into tussles with coaches, fights? Did it ever get animosity battles? Not animosity. Walt Hazard and I had a problem. Walt Hazard, okay. Yeah, he comes, I meet him at Izzy's Diner. Yeah, Izzy's Diner, okay. They weren't, they were wearing some of the shoe at UCLA, and I, and I knew him. I, I mean, obviously I knew him, and so we're, we're going, he's coaching now, right? And, uh, yeah. Okay, so we meet at Izzy's, and he wants a contract. And, uh, you know, and he wants what John Thompson gets. I'll never forget this as long as I live, and he's not here. And I'm not trying sure. I said this. And, and he said, I want John Thompson. I said, I, I can't give you John Thompson. What, what do you mean? I, I want him, and I'll bring, I'll bring my team. I said, you're not John Thompson. <laughs> I, I never, and he wasn't. And I, and I, and I, I meant that. And, I, and we remained friends and, you know, for years. But there were a few instances like that, you know, because we created money for the coaches the shoe company, sure. especially at that time, that they never, we, at first, I, Colin, I paid them more than their schools were paying That's them. That's right. That's There's true. no question about it. And, and John Thompson, what people, uh, as a, I remember how big the Big East was. So I'm a West Coast kid. I didn't watch the Pac-12. I watched the Big East. I didn't care about yeah. the Pac-12. So Louis Carnesecca, P.J. Carlissimo, right. Rick Pitino, John Thompson. I'm living in Westport, Washington, and I'm addicted to Big East basketball. So it was so contentious and so competitive. Did you mostly get along? with? Because the coaches were different person. Yeah. I mean, Louis was funny, and John was intimidating. Did you get along with most of them? Every one of them. Really? Every one of them. Wow. It, because, first of all, I don't think they ought to sign with us just for the money because eventually people start paying them all. Yeah. No, I, I, I did. And what I never was, even though everyone in the world knows that I was, there were three teams. The Fab Five was, would have been another team, I'd have said, meant more to college basketball oh. and the marketing side. Those three schools sold shoes. UNLV, Georgetown, Fab Five. Yeah. There's no question in my mind. Yeah. And, and the irony there, and allow me, we only have a minute here. They were all minority players. Sure. And we're talking about the 70s and the 80s. and the 90s. I mean, we're talking about times. There's still time. There's still problems with everybody in this world we live in. Well, you the, have been, you were a key figure in the O'Bannon versus the NCAA case. So it should be noted for those of you who are wondering who I'm talking to, it's Sonny Vaccaro. So the reason the NIL has passed at the grassroots level, at the very beginning, you always took care of players. Yeah. So you always, and I noticed this when I was a young sportscaster, your relationship, I thought you were literally like a cousin of Jerry initially <laughs> because the players treated you like family. And so, can I ask one more question? Sure. What, what, I could never, I don't even know. It's very fuzzy. Give me two more. I'd like, I'll stay here all day. Okay. Okay, I got to ask you this. I always, because first I'm like, well, Tark hung around some interesting people. Yes, he so did. So I'm like, I don't know about this Sonny guy. Right. Well, I didn't know. But I like everybody treated you well, and Tark treated you well, and and you were nice. Mm -hmm. You don't remember me; I remember you because very few people got Tark's attention. You walked into the gym; whoosh, he moved okay. over to you. How much of what you were doing in the in the in the swag they call it now in the shoes was legal? And how, I always thought the NCAA was so far behind. Could you just give kids shoes, and it was what was legal and what wasn't? Were you just kind of? At the time, there was no rules. Was there there? Were, the only rule that they had, and I would have changed, not me, Phil, and I would, if you allowed me, I would have paid the, the, the kids that went to college. I, I would have paid the players, but I couldn't pay the players because I couldn't just pay them the money. So right. I paid the coaches to, pay, to really pay the players because they gave them free shoes, free sweatsuits. So I, that was the route I took. My, my 
choice would have been to give them kids the money. That's right. always been my choice. Yeah. And that's what Obama ended up being. So to, just to, to clarify what you're saying there on the early days and, yeah. me, and me personally, you know, and I went through this. I was Italian. I was from Pittsburgh. I was supposed to be involved with the mob. I, I believe every, every Italian in the world was part of the mafia. <laughs> that's, that's the way some people in the world. And I had this affinity and love that I never denied for Las Vegas. I told you the first thing I said. I wanted to go to Las Vegas when I was 23 years old to play poker at the dunes. That was a dream of mine when I was 23 years old, and yeah. I did. We drove. So I'm saying to you, there was, there was so much bias in, 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 in the operation, in the organization called the NCAA. Yeah. And the bias is they do not help the individuals that made them billionaires, that made them, everybody around them is wealthy, except until recently, except O'Bannon and Alston and all the ones that we're now winning yeah. in court in. That's why I think you and Tark got along. Jerry Tarkanian has my favorite college basketball quote of all time. Okay. He said the NCAA was so mad at Kentucky they put Cleveland State on probation. Well, and he <laughs> said it, and you know he said it. And that's but basically as funny as that is, that was the truth. You never heard of, you know, a lot of schools and Kidlooning UCLA. I mean, all, all the years and whatever. You know, nothing I'm not saying something did happen, but there would be no you've never seen that type of school the one was given anointment forever yeah. that doesn't mean that they did something what i'm saying to you is but they never even were mentioned as doing something they never but tarkane was investigated when he got up and you know every morning there was no question about oh, it no, no. yeah no, no question about it yeah jerry once at a podium i used to he used to do a weekly presser on wednesdays he, one time he stood up there and uh, somebody asked him about recruiting. He goes, all I hear is coaches complaining about recruiting. He goes, I get on a plane. I sit in first class. I go to a hotel. <laughs> I get a steak dinner and a free beer and watch basketball and then fly back home first class. He goes, that's every guy's dream. All these coaches complain about recruiting. I love recruiting. Uh, Sonny Vaccaro, sports marketing agent, most notably at Nike, founder of ABCD Camp at the High School Basketball Showcase, and a key figure in Air Movie, played by Matt Damon, and the O'Bannon, Ed O'Bannon versus NCAA case. Ed's a wonderful guy. I've never met him, but his story is redeemable beyond that. What a pleasure for me. Thank you so much for your patience and my rapid-fire questions. I enjoy it, and Mick Cronin told me to make sure that he tells you, I tell you hello for him. He watches you all the time, and we and he was our guest. He and Eddie O'Bannon were Pam and I's guests at the last night. He's done a great job at UCLA. And, and he's a great young man. We I've known Mick since he was 20 years old. He was, you just got graduated. He was an assistant high school coach. He brought a kid to play in a round ball classic in Pittsburgh. And I've known him since then, since I, that day. I didn't know if he was going to work, but man, that team plays yeah. hard. Yeah. And if they had not fallen apart physically, they yes. had a chance to get to the final four. I, I would have liked their chance if the big, especially the big, both the kids, Singleton and the other kid, but they, they that happens. Yep. That's, that's part of the game and whatever. Sonny, great seeing you. I hope we can do this again someday at some, whatever. I, I enjoyed it and it was a pleasure being on. And uh, I can, I, I love talking. I love talking about basketball. But the most important thing I love talking about is the freedom that the athlete now has. I think the best thing I ever did in my life, other than marry Pam, was help find a plaintiff for the lawyers to do the Otto Bannon case. Because now, now it's confusing out there. Now they made a big mistake, the NCAA. Yeah. You know, they should have made a deal with these kids a long time ago. And instead, right now, yeah. right now I, I hope I'm alive, but I predict on your show, 
in five years, there will not be an organization like the NCAA. They may be in name out there. They will not be running the athletes anymore. There has to be a decision, whether it's the politicians. I vote for an independent person who is respected like a Ken Feinberg who did, you know, separated all the money and all the disasters, 9-11 and everything else. A man like that should be able to put together a group to represent the players and the universities, and the kids should share the wealth. Great stuff. The second season of El Flow is here. Step into the ever-evolving world of reggaeton and get up close with both legendary figures and emerging talents in the industry. Part of the enormous significance of reggaeton is really the way in which personal narratives connect to larger things going on historically and socially. Listen to El Flow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 